Hi, welcome to podcast number six from Help with Parkinson's. Our guest today is Dr. Supermanian from Hershey Medical Center, and I'm your host, Warren Butfinick. Hope you enjoy the show. Hi, this is Warren Butfinick. I'm here with Dr. Soup. It's going to be referencing Parkinson's disease, orthostatic hypotension. Welcome, Dr. Sue. Thanks, uh, Warren. Uh, happy to be here. So tell us what we're going to be talking today about. We're going to be talking about a very common issue with Parkinson's disease, which is uh, orthostatic hypotension. It's very common. And what it basically is, is your body can't compensate from going to a laying down position to a standing position. It doesn't release that norepinephrine that keeps your body stabilized. So Dr. Sue, would you want to talk a little bit about that? And then I'll come in about the medications. Yes. So... Um... Warren uh, said it introduced the topic uh, nicely that orthostatic hypotension can frequently occur in the setting of Parkinson's disease, although in the early stages of the disease, probably rare. Uh, in the first uh, five years, probably um, unlikely that most people with Parkinson's disease would have orthostasis. Um, more likely, they would get it from other reasons and not really due to the Parkinson's itself. So let's uh, talk a little bit about what are the common symptoms? How do you recognize if you have orthostasis or not? The most frequent way to tell is that if you stood up from a sitting position or you stood up from a laying down position, you feel lightheaded. And when I say lightheaded, that means the sensation that you would feel prior to feeling faint. Often this can be confused from what we call ataxia, where you have lack of balance or lack of coordination. Uh, This feeling can be synonymously used. So people might say, well, I just feel dizzy. Well, we have to clarify what that dizziness really means. And here in this context, we mean lightheaded. Now, why does this happen? This happens because there's not enough blood flow into your brain. And because the brain doesn't get sufficient blood flow, you feel lightheaded or fainty. Now, let's look into this in a little bit more detail. Human beings, uh, generally as adults, we all stand on our two feet. We don't go uh, crawling. And because we have adopted to this um, position where we stand on our legs, Unlike in animals, we have developed a system by which we control our blood pressure using a number of different neurochemicals and nerves that originate from the brain and supply the different parts of our body. So to be specific, our blood vessels in the leg and in our abdomen, they are supplied by a nerve, which is called the sympathetic nervous system, And they allow the blood vessels to constrict when we change body position. This allows the blood to return to the heart, and from the heart, it can be pumped into the brain. Now, if we don't have the system working, because of gravity, Earth's gravity will pull the blood down into the legs, and resulting in the pooling of blood in the lower extremities. In the human body, there's approximately five liters of blood. And this five liters of blood is constantly pumped by the heart. Each 
cycle of the heartbeat pumps about 500 ml. That's about roughly about uh, oh about a quarter or so that is getting pumped, and this is going through our entire body in multiple cycles. And if our body does not make the adjustments uh, to compress the blood vessels in the leg and push the blood back into your heart, then you suffer from lightheadedness. Now in Parkinson's disease, as the disease progresses, the nerves that are innervating our legs and your abdomen, uh, they tend to become sick. They tend to not work well. And because they're not working well, they don't compress the blood vessel and go into what we call uh, compression. Uh, vasospasm or compression doesn't happen. And due to that, you can have um, lightheadedness or faintiness. Now, before we jump the gun and call everybody who's lightheaded uh, to have this condition, we also need to make sure that common other conditions that can mimic it are ruled out. So let's think about what things would make you feel the same way, lightheaded, but not really damaged to the nerves. One common thing that happens is um, dehydration. Now, we are here in the summer. We're just coming up on August, one of the hottest seasons in Northern America. Um, if we go outside and we perspire a lot, we lose a lot of fluids. And if we don't hydrate ourselves, don't drink enough water, what happens is our total volume of blood becomes less. That's what we call volume constriction. And when there is volume constriction, your blood pressure will go down anyway. And your heart will have to pump harder. And any little bit of pooling of blood in the lower extremities will cause you to become lightheaded. Therefore, it's important that we keep our body hydrated. And the typical rule of thumb is two liters of, uh, two liters of water per day is a minimum that everybody's supposed to drink. And what is two liters? You know, if you think about the large Coke or Diet Coke bottle that you can buy, that's typically a two liter bottle. If you fill that up with water, just regular water, and drink it every day from the bottle, then you can ensure that you are drinking that much water every day. Now, this is complicated because when Parkinson patients drink water, they always worry about having to go to the bathroom uh, to urinate. And because they become somewhat apprehensive about reaching the bathroom in time, they tend not to drink enough water, especially in the evening, they avoid drinking water. And this then becomes a problem because in the evening is when you're laying down. And if you have to get up in the middle of the night to go to the bathroom, you get up. And when you get up, there's not enough water in your body. You're going to pee anyway. And when you're walking towards the bathroom and you're going to urinate, you might feel lightheaded at, at that point. So what's the message here? The message here is that you need to drink sufficient water. And you need to drink it throughout the day, preferably by 6 to 7 p.m. in the evening. You should have already topped that two liters of water into your body. And you should have that uh, water to help you keep you from volume constriction. The second important thing is salt. Uh, if you become salt deficient, that will also make your blood pressure go down. You probably heard the story that if you have hypertension, high blood pressure, you should avoid salt. But here's a situation where salt actually will help you. So unless your doctor tells you not to take salty food, 
having a little bit of salt in your diet is actually a good thing. So if you're on a restricted salt diet, that's probably something you should avoid. You should actually drink normal amount of, uh, or eat normal amount of salty food in your diet. So salt and water, two important things. They are key to keep you from having low blood pressure and orthostatic hypotensive symptoms happening. Now this is even in people who don't have Parkinson's, this is true. If you don't drink enough water, you don't have enough salt, you will feel lightheaded, even without having any damage to the nerves or anything like that. But now if you have damage to the nerves and you have had advanced Parkinson's disease, you've had it for a few years, uh, four, five, six years, then you probably have a little bit of damage to your nerves and then you could become lightheaded because of that. So let's summarize what we discussed so far and pause for a few questions from Warren before we get into drugs. So number one, we discussed why Parkinson patients may develop uh, lightheadedness and what we call orthostatic hypotension. And we kind of defined it as feeling lightheaded and that's different from feeling ataxic. The second thing we discussed was what is the most common reason why this happens is because gravity pulls blood into your legs and into your lower part of your body. And because there's a nerve that constricts the blood vessels, allow the blood, blood to come back to your heart, that's how we manage to change body position. However, when that's damaged, either because of the disease or just because you didn't drink sufficient water and not eat enough salt, you can become lightheaded and that can be a problem. Now, I'll stop here, pause, just to have Warren interject a few questions or so. We'll then talk about how do we diagnose this and how do we treat it. Okay. Yeah, I think you covered everything. Do you mind if I go over the, uh, the dopamine cycle in the, in the body and the brain just to... Sure, sure. Okay. Why not? Yeah. So uh, it's sort of like a triple, triple threat with this because you got the elderly are prone to the low blood pressure. Parkinson's causes low blood pressure and the treatment of Parkinson's causes low blood pressure. So um, what it is, is most, most people know it's the uh, substantia nigra that you can't, you can't produce the uh, dopamine, but you can't take dopamine orally because it doesn't get into the brain through the blood brain barrier, which is like a fence. So dopamine would be useless to the patient. So they have to give levodopa. But the problem with levodopa is it gets out into the outskirts of the nervous system before it gets to the brain. And it gets broken down to dopamine. And that causes low blood pressure and a whole other side effects. So, uh, that's, so the doctors give the carbidopa to stop the, uh, the breakdown of the levodopa to dopamine on the periphery and the levodopa goes into the brain. But that whole process, everything is leading towards low blood pressure. So it's, uh, it's important that even if you don't have low, low blood pressure, you don't get dizzy, just as a precaution, every time you get out of bed, you should just dangle your legs a little bit and just get up slowly because you don't know when that's going to happen. And one bad fall could really set you to something bad. You agree, Dr. Sue? Yes, I agree. Um... So um, Warren brought, brings up several important points, and let's address all of them uh, one at a time. So the first uh, point is, how do you recognize this, and how does the doctor um, diagnose this condition? 
So the first thing is, uh, of course, asking a set of questions. Are you lightheaded when you get up? Do you feel like your brain is cloudy or your mind is not clear when you're standing up? Uh, when you're up and about, do you feel worse than when you are laying down or when you are sitting? Those are common questions that we might ask a person who we suspect may have uh, orthostatic hypotension. Sometimes it can present as depression or feeling tired or weak. Um, when you feel weak when you're walking around, but you're feeling better and refreshed when you're sitting and laying down, that might suggest that your blood supply to your brain is not so good when you're standing up or sitting. Um, whereas when you lay down, the blood pressure is better and the blood circulation in your brain is better. What we call perfusion is better. So that would be the first step, asking questions. Second step is doing some simple tests. And the test that we typically do is a measurement of your blood pressure. This can be done in a doctor's office. And frequently, if you were to come to a doctor's office, the doctor might check your blood pressure. But there's some specifics on how this should be done. Uh, typically, we use a blood pressure machine that has a cuff that goes around the arm, uh, and it either uses a stethoscope or one of those automatic readers that give you the reading. We ask the patient to lay down flat for about two minutes. So laying flat, supine, meaning facing up, just like you were to go to bed, laying down for two minutes. At the end of two minutes, we check your blood pressure, and we also measure your heart rate. So most people have the highest blood pressure when they're laying down. So it's not uh, unusual to find even normal people to have a slightly elevated blood pressure when you're laying down of about 140 over 80 or something like that. That's very common. And the heart rate is typically between 60 and 100. Most people have a heart rate around 70 or 75 or 80, something like that. Now, the next step is to ask you to sit at the edge of the bed and so you just change your body position from laying to sitting without standing. So you're just simply going to flip your legs to the side of the bed and sit at the edge of the bed without getting up. And then you sit in that position for two minutes and check the blood pressure again. What should happen is that your blood pressure could, should slightly go down by maybe four or five points after two minutes. And there may or may not be a slight increase in the heart rate. Uh, and that's normal. That's expected. And then the last part of the test is to make you stand up for two minutes, wait for two minutes, and take the blood pressure one more time. So there's three steps to it. Step one, laying down. Step two, sitting. Step three, standing up. In all three positions, take blood pressure and heart rate. The normal response, a healthy response, is that the blood pressure is highest when laying down and it's lowest when you stand up. And the difference between the laying down blood pressure and standing blood pressure is no more than 20 points for any of the numbers. So blood pressure usually has a high number, which we call the systolic, and a low number, which is called the diastolic. The two numbers should not change more than 20 points when you stand up from a laying down position. And the second important thing is that in normal healthy people, the heart rate will go up when you stand up from a laying down to a stand up position, your heart rate will naturally go up a little bit. And that's expected. That should happen. Now, if it doesn't happen, that also indicates a problem. So to summarize two problems that we need to see 
to identify orthostatic hypertension. One, when you change your body position from laying to standing, your blood pressure drops by 20 points or more, either the high number or the low number. Either of them, if it drops more than 20 points, or if you're symptomatic, you're complaining about lightheadedness, even without reaching 20 points, then that's significant. The second point is that your heart rate, if it fails to go up, it's normally expected to go up, but if it doesn't go up, that also indicates a problem. So this is the common way in which we diagnose the problem. And as we discussed earlier, and as Warren correctly pointed out, it's important that when you change body position, that you wait, that waiting period for about a few seconds, a few extra minutes, will help, help your body equally break your blood pressure. It will allow the heart to pump a little bit more blood to your brain and adjust for the body position. So it's important that you try to do that. And again, as Warren cautioned, one fall is bad enough. So we like to see zero fault. So anybody who is feeling slightly lightheaded should be cautious trying to change body position. So the next point is how do we treat the condition if it turns out to be that, that you are low blood pressure and your blood pressure changes by 20 points. As we already discussed, it's important to make sure the person is drinking sufficient water. Two liters of water per day, that's important that you try to get that in. Salt, again, if you're on a salt-restricted diet, avoid that, especially if your doctor says that's okay to avoid. And also, in some cases, you might even actually take extra salt. So for example, food that are rich in salt, um, saltine crackers, uh, potato chips, jerkies, you know, like turkey jerky, uh, beef jerky, uh, peanuts that are salted, trail mix, lots of different things. Even pickle, if you like pickle, having an extra pickle. Uh, they are all salty food or anything that is uh, stored in salt is good. You can also take a salt tablet if you need to, but this would be a more extreme step. Uh, in order to uh, keep your salt and water regulation uh, under control. The doctor may also order some blood tests to check your sodium level, your potassium level, chloride level, and BUN creatinine level to make sure that those are okay. And that's, again, a quick check to see whether your electrolytes are in balance or not. Now, after you've done all this and you're still having problems with lightheadedness, the first thing to check is whether any medications are playing a role. It's not uncommon for some family doctors to give a diuretic, a water pill, for leg swelling. And that's very, very common. There is uh, several of these uh, available. There's one called uh, frusamide, and there's another one which is called uh, chlorothiazide. These are common medications that uh, family doctors may order for leg swelling. Well, that's a problem because if you are peeing too much and you're losing sodium in your urine, that will make you have low blood pressure and become hypotensive. So if you're on a diuretic, um, you may have to be taken off the diuretic. Now, again, this has to be done with caution because sometimes diuretics are important for the health of the heart. Uh, if it's being given for your heart, then it should not be stopped. It needs to be discuss with your family doctor, whoever's giving to you, and then make a determination whether it can be adjusted or stopped. The next uh, group of medicines that can potentially uh, lower your blood pressure are the medicines that we use for treating Parkinson's. As uh, Warren mentioned, if the um, 
medications that we use are utilized in the periphery, meaning in the bloodstream or in the must in the blood vessels, then it can lower your blood pressure. And that can be an issue. And this can happen not only with carbidopa levodopa, but it can also happen with the dopamine agonist, like uh, ropinerol, primipexol, the requip and the merifex, or even the patch, rotigotin, all of those can potentially lower your blood pressure because they're all dopamine agonists and they can all act in the peripheral nervous system and cause lowered blood pressure because of the vasodilatation that they're capable of doing. Now, after you have excluded and make sure that medications are not the reason, now it comes to what else can we do now in treatment. And there are several different treatments that can do. The first one is exercise. So um, making the legs pump. So simply um, crossing your legs, putting your hand between the two cross legs and squeezing your fingers between the cross legs and your thigh for 10 seconds and doing this repeatedly, uncross, cross, cross, uncross, and putting your hand in between your thighs and squeezing it for 10 seconds. So basically you're counting backwards, 9, 10, 8, 7, 6, 5, 4, 3, 2, 1. And doing that 10 times will increase your blood pressure by about 10 points. And that may all you have to do when you change body position. So let's think about this one more time. Let's say, for example, you're going in a car for about two hours from one place to another, and you've been sitting all along. Now you get to the destination and you're about to come out of the car. What you're supposed to do is to dangle your legs outside the vehicle, but don't get up yet. Cross your legs, squeeze your thighs, and do it 10 times. Left over right, right over left, left over right, right over left. And after you've done that, then get up from the seated position. Now, what would this do? This would increase your blood pressure to about 10 points and will allow you to overcome the orthostatic hypotension that normally you might experience by having sat down for two hours. The same example is true if you're watching television, you're watching a TV show or a movie, you've been seated for two, three hours, and then you're suddenly getting up, then you need to um, do this exercise, this leg exercise. I recommend doing the leg exercise three times a day anyway, uh, because it's good for you. It will move your blood circulation from your legs into your heart, but you have to remember to do it every time you change body position. So you might want to tell your spouse or your caregiver to remind you that if they're going to call you for dinner or lunch after you've been sitting for a while, please do the exercise before you get up or change body position um, in order to avoid the orthostatic hypotension. So that's the first thing. The second thing you can use uh, something called the job stocking, J-O-B-S-D stocking. Job stockings are really tight stockings that you put all the way up to your thigh. Um, they look almost like a woman's uh, uh, hose or what we call, um, you know, what they use to cover their feet and legs uh, as part of their day-to-day -day wear. But they are sold for both men and women. Uh, it's a medical device. Uh, we call it the job stocking, J-O-B-S-T stockings. And they come with different pressure and compression levels. And the common ones that we use is approximately one pound per square inch um, tight stocking. Uh, this can be custom filled, fit for most uh, patients. And it's done by the occupational therapist. It can also be done by a medical supply store. 
Um, you can go to a local medical supply store and have you measured. Uh, again, it has to come all the way up to the thigh, up to the groin. There's no point in wearing the ones that go only up to your calf. And that's because most of the blood pooling occurs in the thigh. Thigh is much bigger than the calf and the thigh has more blood. And wearing these compression stocking will allow the blood to come up into your heart in a more uh, durable fashion. So that's the second step. So exercise and stockings, you can wear them. Some people kind of find it difficult to wear the stocking because they're tight and applying it by yourself is hard. You may need a caregiver. You may also need something like a shoehorn. And there's a thing called a stocking applicator. It looks like a shoehorn. You can use that and that can easily allow you to put this thing onto your legs and take them off in the evening when you go uh, to sleep. Some people also find it uncomfortable to wear during the summer because it's tight and it can make you sweat underneath. But they do sell these stockings with holes in it, which we call fenestrated stockings. So these fenestrations, small little holes, allow you breathing space, so allow you to wear it comfortably during the summer. Some people also don't like the fact that they are using different colors. There's a, uh, there's a thing around it. They do sell it in skin color. You can match it and you can wear skin color so that people won't notice even during the summer, if you were to wear shorts or other type of clothing where your legs are exposed, um, it can be nicely hidden by wearing these stockings, which are fenestrated and are skin color. So there are all kinds of solutions for that. And so that's the second um, method. Now, after that, if you're still feeling lightheaded and your blood pressure is still um, below 20 points and it's not corrected despite doing all these things, then now we're ready to uh, think about using medications. There are several different medications that can be used. Uh, one simple thing to do would be to take um, ibuprofen or naproxen. Both of these medicines are prostaglandin inhibitors, and they cause mild vasoconstriction. So over-the-counter ibuprofen, 200 milligrams three times a day, um, trying that is safe in most people. Of course, you have to be cautious because ibuprofen can cause gastric acidity and cause heartburn. It can also cause ulcers in the stomach. So unless your doctor has forbade you from using ibuprofen or naproxen, it's fine to take 200 milligrams of naproxen three times a day, and that will increase your blood pressure by about 10 points. And that may be all you need. And it's a very cheap solution, easy to use, effective. Now, beyond that, we have to have prescription medicines. And then there are several. And the most important one is called uh, Midodrin, M-I-D-O-D-R-I-N-E. Midodrin is a medicine that has been around for several years. Um, you take that typically three to four times a day. Typically, you take it along with your carbidopa levodopa. And so I typically recommend taking that pill with every dose of levodopa carbidopa because its half-life is also roughly four hours. So it's kind of convenient to take it together. The problem with mitodrine is that if you take the pill and lay down, your blood pressure will go too high. What we call supine hypertension will happen, which is a problem. So um, typically when I'm prescribing mitodrine, I ask people to take the pill and not lay flat um, for the next four hours. So typically they would take it, for example, 8 o'clock, 12 o'clock, 4 o'clock, and 8 o'clock. And during that time, try not to lay down, try not to go lay flat, um, either sit or stand all the time. If you want to 
relax. You can uh, maybe go into a um, sort of a semi-laying uh, posture, like maybe uh, tip your back a little bit, like 45 degrees or something, and but don't lay flat once you take the medicine. So that's the mitodrine. And then beyond that, there's a newer drug, which is called Norterra, N-O-R-T-H-E-R-A, Norterra. It's also prescription medicine, and it works on the hormone that Warren was mentioning earlier, uh, this norepinephrine. So you can take that medicine, and that will also increase your blood pressure and prevent this orthostasis from happening. Um, it's a good drug. It's been around for a while. Um, we use it, but it is newer, and it's a prescription, and it's only available as a brand name. So you have to go through a lot of insurance approval to get it. Uh, again, the convenience of this drug is that you can take it uh, two twice a day. Sometimes, rarely, we have to give it three times a day, but two to three times a day, this medicine, and it can improve your blood pressure by taking a pill as well. It also has the risk of raising your blood pressure when you lay flat. However, it's less compared to mitodrine. Um, so if you are a person who likes to take naps uh, and you want to be on a medicine, Norterra is a slightly better drug than mitodrine is. And then finally, there is a, a third drug, which is called uh, flucortisone or florinef. Florinef has been around for decades. It's a uh, steroid, what we call a mineralocorticoid. It works through a different mechanism. It actually improves the amount of water and salt in the body. It does not work through norepinephrine. And it can also be an effective treatment for um, orthostatic hypertension. The advantage of Fluorinef is it's cheap. It's easily available. However, its major disadvantage is that it has a very long half-life. So it stays in your body for days. Um, uh, and so it can be a significant problem laying flat. So to summarize, um, we covered the three of the newer medicines or the medications that we can give. One is the Mitodrine, The other one is the Norterra. And the third one is the Fluorinef. Uh, there are some other minor drugs that I didn't touch upon, but we'll get to that in a minute. Um, but the most important thing is to do exercise uh, of the legs, crossing the legs and squeezing the thighs is the easiest thing to do. And you have to do it 10 times before you change body position. Second, wearing the job stockings that come up to your thigh. And uh, third, trying ibuprofen or naproxen, which are non-steroidal uh, medications that are prostaglandin inhibitors um, three times a day. Those are the more easier things to do before you jump the gun and get your prescription medicines. Um, so let me pause again and ask Warren to comment uh, briefly on what we discussed. Okay, you hit about all the points I wanted to talk about, but I wanted to mention about the uh, compression stockings. I used to take care of them. I've measured probably at least 100 people with them. And uh, what it is, it's, it's graduated compression. You want to make sure it's graduated which means it's tighter in the ankle than it is in the calf and the thigh because it's basically squeezing the blood up from your feet up to your body. So you don't want to get Ted stockings. They're, they're not graduated. So if you get, that's why when you look at the Job stockings, it has 30 to 40 or 18 to 20. It's the higher in the, in the ankle and less in the, in the thigh. And um, if you get the thigh high, you want to get the silicone band because that makes it stick to your leg better because it's very hard for it to stay up at the thigh. 
because there's less compression there. I just wanted to add that point. Well, thanks, Warren. That's, uh, that's very helpful. It's uh, a practical tip there from Warren. Uh, important that who's measuring knows and understands what actually has to be um, dispensed. Um, so these are important little practical tips that you want to share with your provider as well as whoever is measuring you for it. Let me um, conclude by uh, mentioning a few other little things that can be done for orthostatic hypotension um, in people who cannot do any of the things that we discussed or they've tried everything and they still can't get their blood pressure under control. It's rare that if you tried all of these things and you're still having blood pressure issues, it's rather rare, but it can happen. So there are a few medications that we can try. Um, there is a medicine uh, that we use for myasthenia gravis, which is called mestinon or pyridostigmine. In theory, pyridostigmine can be used for treating orthostatic hypotension because it works through a particular neurotransmitter, which is called acetylcholine, which is present in all preganglionic sympathetics. So in theory, um, yes, you can use uh, mastinone or pyridostigmine to treat uh, orthostatic hypotension in Parkinson's disease. However, it has significant side effects. Uh, it can cause diarrhea, and the diarrhea can be pretty significant. It also can increase the amount of uh, oral secretions. Saliva can be increased. Nasal secretions can be increased. And sweating can be increased. And those are well-known side effects of mastinone or cholinergic side effects. So um, typically, this is a sort of a last resort. We generally not use mastinone, but in theory, yes, it can be used. Another drug um, that can theoretically be used is a medicine called Stratara. This is a medication used for treating attention deficit disorder. Uh, in the United States, it's uh, prescribed for treating that condition. But in theory, again, because of its mechanism of action or norepinephrine, it can actually be used for treating orthostatic hypotension as well. Again, most of us don't use it because it has significant side effects. Um, it can prevent you from sleeping, especially if you have to take the dose later in the evening. It can keep you awake. Um, it also has other types of side effects that are generally not tolerated well in the older folks as compared to young uh, children who get this drug for attention deficit disorder. There are a few other experimental drugs also um, that are being investigated. Um, and we are um, in Hershey also looking at a few investigational drugs here. So if you are in the category of people who really um, cannot tolerate the classic simple things, which is drinking sufficient water, eating sufficient salt, doing the leg exercise, and wearing the job stockings, and you have tried the common medicines that we discussed before, which is either the ibuprofen or the naproxen, non-steroidal anti-inflammatory drugs taken three times a day, or if you have tried um, mitodrin, um, or you have tried Noterra and, or Florinav, and none of these things have worked, then you may want to consider um, some of these other things. One other thing, which is again, not very convenient, is the abdominal binder. So similar to compressing the legs, you can also compress your abdomen and you can wear something called an abdominal binder, which is similar to a back support kind of device, but it's a little tighter. You're basically compressing the blood vessels around your gut, what we call the splanchanic veins. And by compressing them, you can push the blood into your heart. That can also be worn. I do have a few subjects who wear the abdominal binder. 
It's not the most easiest thing to wear. It is somewhat inconvenient. Uh, and you do feel the compression around your stomach. And um, uh, so it's not, not the easiest thing to do. But it can be worn and it can be helpful in some individual people. So I think we kind of uh, hit upon all the important things for orthostatic hypertension and how to manage them. So Warren, you have any concluding thoughts? Uh, if you have the time, there has been something in the news about impulse control with Parkinson's disease. Yeah. Do you want to talk about that now? Yeah, we can briefly touch and maybe next week, um, take it in a, in a bigger fashion, talk about it more. So there's a paper that just got published in an important journal, which is called the Green Journal, otherwise called the Neurology Journal, um, in, uh, in a foreign country, 411 patients were followed who were taking um, dopamine agonist medicines for Parkinson's. Uh, they looked at people who took uh, ropinorol and trimipexol, and they discovered that uh, up to 30% of uh, patients over a five-year period developed impulse con control disorder. And this includes behaviors such as hypersexuality, excessive shopping, gambling, and punting behavior. Um, so this is a surprise because we used to think that this is relatively uncommon. Um, it happened in most other studies less than 5%, but 30% is a big number. Uh, this can potentially ruin families and economic ruin can be significant from these things. I have seen it in my practice a couple of people who are overused the drug and ended up in financial ruin. So it's probably important to talk about this in greater detail now that uh, this paper has come out and there's increasing recognition that this needs to be addressed sooner than later. Um, we will take this up at our next podcast. We'll um, try to also get um, an external guest, um, one of the uh, people who have commented it, uh, the national media about this, we'll try to get the guest on for our next podcast to discuss impulse control disorder. Does that sound like a good plan, Warren? That'd be great. Very yeah. topical. Fantastic. Thank you so much. Thank you. You have a good day. Uh -huh. Bye. Bye.